Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The season of Lent from ancient times has been a season set aside by the church in her wisdom for special spiritual discipline in preparation for the glorious celebration of Easter, for that glorious celebration of our Lord's victory over sin and death and his resurrection. It is a time for fasting and for prayer, for intensified struggle against the flesh, for reflection on our own sins and our utter reliance on God in both body and soul. But most of all, it is a time to meditate on and to contemplate the suffering and passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. His anguish in the garden on the Mount of Olives as he fervently prayed to his Father with bloody sweat that the cup of his death might pass from him. And standing yet still, determined to do his Father's will and drink that cup to the dregs. And there at that same garden, betrayed by the kiss of Judas to be dragged before the priests and the governor, to be slandered, mocked, and falsely accused, beaten and scourged and spit upon, his journey with the wood of the cross upon his raw, beaten back to the place designated for his death, where he was lifted up for all the peoples of the world to see, to be mocked and slandered and scorned yet more, to his death and internment in the tomb. So this year, for our Lenten midweek series, we take up this discipline. We focus our eyes and hearts and minds on the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. The goal of this Lent is not to proclaim to you the testimony of God with wisdom or lofty speech, but to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. But as we turn to meditate on these things, we do not want to simply sentimentalize it. Our goal is not to pull on your heartstrings. Your goal is not to manipulate your emotions into a state of pious sadness. The point of Lent is not to be excessively sad about the death of Jesus, not to be excessively sad that he suffered and died, but rather that we might know that with hearts of faith, we might comprehend the great benefits and mercy and grace that we receive and possess as our very own on account of his suffering and passion. That we, as those given to Christ by the Heavenly Father, might look on the Son and believe in him, and thus have eternal life and be raised by him on the last day. So there are two things then necessary for a proper contemplation of Christ's suffering. First, the history. The actual bare facts of the story of Jesus' journey from the Mount of Olives to the cross. That this central event, the bare facts of this history, are central to the gospel proclamation itself. Its historicity is part of the very essence of it. That this cosmic event unfolded according to the plan and providence of God before the eyes of men, and not in some distant epoch and not in some other spiritual realm, but here in the very history of this creation. 
And on this matter, I'm afraid that if your contemplation of these things begins at 7.30 p.m. on Wednesdays and ends approximately at 8.30 p.m., you will be underserved. For simply by dint of time, we do not have the time to go through in exhaustive detail the history that the Gospels lay out for us about our Lord's passion. And so that is your homework this Lenten season, is to take up and read the passion accounts in the four Gospels. The second thing, of course, then, that is necessary for contemplating these things is their spiritual meaning. What do they mean? What do they mean both in the scope of salvation history and what do they mean for me? What do they mean for you? And this will be the focus of our Wednesday evening contemplations. For what purpose and to what end did Christ suffer these things? And in this evening's epistle text, St. Paul gives us the keys to unlock the proper divine and spiritual meaning of these facts of history. He says, Sin came into the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And Adam was a type of the one who was to come. That is to say that by his rebellion and sin and disobedience, Adam and our entire race became subjected, enslaved to sin and death. But the first Adam who sinned in the garden was a type, that is, an image, a reverse image of the second Adam, who did not sin, but was obedient to the Father in all things. And the second Adam, Jesus Christ, because he was not only man, but the very Son of God, outdid Adam's disobedience by his own obedience. Indeed, Paul says, for if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Christ in his incarnation, his suffering, his passion and death undoes and surpasses the disobedience of Adam. And because he is also infinite God, his righteousness is not only sufficient to undo Adam's sin, but it is infinite. It can atone for all the sins of Adam and all his descendants. So we turn now to consider these things. How does Christ's atonement and obedience answer for and atone for Adam's disobedience? We remember from the garden that Adam wanted to be like God. So to atone for such arrogance... Christ himself entered our sinful humanity. As Paul says, Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men. And being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Adam was a blasphemer of God. Because he wanted to be like God, he tried to snatch the creator's crown. To atone for Adam's sin, Christ allowed himself to be condemned as a blasphemer for confessing that he was the son of God, which of course he was and is. When God confronted Adam about his sin, Adam became a rebellious perjurer. To atone for such, Christ in an innocent matter was accused and condemned as a rebel. After his fall into sin, Adam still wanted to excuse himself of his crimes. To, to atone for it, Christ kept his silence before the false accusations and became like a silent lamb to the slaughter. Adam was a genuine murderer, the greatest that there ever was. He brought death upon himself and upon all his descendants. To atone for that, Christ was presented next to the murderer Barabbas, and Barabbas was released and Christ condemned. Adam was dressed by God with beautiful garments. Christ was stripped naked and wounded in all his members. Adam stretched forth his hand to the forbidden tree, seeing that it was pleasing to the eye and good to eat. While Christ, to atone for this, stretched out his hands on the tree of the cross and was given nothing but vinegar to drink. And he did this in order to win righteousness and life for men, to give us the fruit of his very body and blood, to eat and to drink for forgiveness, life, and salvation. Adam, through sin, closed the doors to paradise, but Christ became the door to all who believe in him. And this all he suffered willingly and righteously without sin. As Isaiah prophesied of him, I was not rebellious, I turned not, my back, not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheek to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. And his suffering and passion and death, as we have already noted, was not just for Adam's sin, but for the sins of all, the manifold sins of all mankind, the sins of you yourselves as Isaiah also prophesied. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The obedience of Christ covers the disobedience of all. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person. One would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then 
And so, this Lenten season, we take up a meditation on and a contemplation of Christ's suffering and death. Use this key to unlock it and understand. It is not the purpose to make you sad. Although, if in contemplating these things, you come to contrition and remorse over sin, that is, of course, a good thing. But most importantly is to remember that all this Christ did for you. For your forgiveness, for your life, and for your salvation. Indeed, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue with the office hymn, and the ushers may come forward for the offering during the office hymn. Thank you. 